Listen, we're about writing stories here. We're about uh, rewriting some stories. <laughs> maybe, maybe you need a whole new script, a whole new tablet uh, to rewrite the story of your own life. But uh, we really are trying to see what story God is writing in each and every one of us. And I believe he is. I believe it's one of those stories that if we let him take the pen and do the writing, that we will see a beautiful story in the end. And I get this based purely in Scripture. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And again, you might look at your life right now and say, it's a dumpster fire. You might look at your relationships. You might look at your job. You might look at your finances. You might look at just, just your own sense of satisfaction with life. And, and just say, it's just not what I thought it was going to be at this point in my life. And I get it. You might be on the mountaintop looking across vistas. You might be in the valley in the shadow of death. But it's everything will be beautiful in its time. And it's not enough that that's a phrase of promise there. But there's more in that verse than just that. That I don't think you can fully unpack the first part until you understand the last part. And he says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. God has put inside of every one of us a God-shaped void, if you will. He's put eternity there. He's put his presence there. He's put this, this emptiness that until he fills it, we're going to be stuffing a bunch of other junk in there. Until we can get him in the right spot, in the right seat in our bus, or in the right penmanship or the right control of our story, then that's not going to be complete. And again, I quote back to Augustine from last week in 300 AD. He said it like this. He said, our hearts find no peace until, until, uh, until they rest in you. I like that statement. You're going to be constantly groping and, gr- and scrounging and trying to find and trying to feel and trying to until you find that peace of that eternal God's presence inside of you. But realize that God's wanting to write a story and it's going to be beautiful in his time. Also, the verse goes on to say, it says it goes on and it says it like this. It says that, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. There's so much that we don't see. There's so much that we don't know. There's so many pieces of the puzzle that we can't put together. There's so much of the story that hasn't been written. I'd like to know the ending of this, fill in the blank. You don't get to know the ending. God knows the ending. Know this, that God wants to make it beautiful. The thing is, is are we willing to let him take the pen, take the stylus, take the art canvas, take the computer, and write out our story? And let it be a beautiful story. I told you last week a little bit about my story. And I want to pick up where I left off last week because it does tie into where we've been in this whole series and how we landed where we're at today. So let me go back, back into high school, back to my sophomore year, whenever God began to prompt in my life a calling into this thing called ministry, vocational ministry. We're all ministers, but this vocational thought. It's like, God, you don't want me. I got this rap sheet. I've been in, uh, I know the principal's office from the bad sense of the word. Uh, I've, I've got friends who know all of the things that I've done wrong. And it was like God had to speak to me. He says, yes, I spilt enough blood on the cross even to cover that. It's like, oh, okay. 
I began to understand a little bit more about his love. And, and then whenever I started giving the excuse of, God, you, you can't use me. I'm underqualified. I, I, don't, I don't read. I don't like to read. I don't want to read. I don't like to learn. And yeah, I'm going, you're calling me into a place of, of learning and reading and studying and teaching and being public speaker on a stage. I said, I'm underqualified. And I told you last week that as God just laid it on my heart, God, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And so I'll, I'll say this to you guys. If you're like, in like, hey, I want God to write my story. I want to be a part of the story writing cohort because Grace Point is a cohort of church, if you will, of story writers, of God writing a story in their life. And God may be writing your story. And if you'll let him take the stylus, he will write, make it beautiful in his time. And he will take the someone who feels underqualified and he will qualify us in his own time, in his own way. If you're interested in that, we've been talking about this and we've been journeying through this and just say, Mike, I'm interested in being part of a family of faith, a covenant community that says, I want to help write stories. I want to help write stories in the next generation. I want God to write a story in my life. I'm willing to let God write my story. If that is you and you're like, want someone to journey with you, we have pastors that want to walk with you and will reach out to you this week. Just do this. Text 9700, text uh, I am Grace Point, okay? I am G- or I am GPC. Uh, and you, if you're watching uh, at home right now and you're, you're, you're like or watching on YouTube or in a coffee shop or something like that, and you're like, hey, I'm interested in being a part of a cohort, a family, a covenant community that is about seeing God do his work because that's what God wants to do. So in this whole journey of God calling me, God gave me some big rock life lessons. And one of those life lessons is when God was calling me was just about his love. I got to see and experience the depth of his love like I'd never experienced before. That his deep love goes deep enough to change my story. That I don't have to live in the story that is being written in my mind or the story that is being written for me or this, by, by other people in my life, by abusers or neglected or, 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 or any other person out there that God actually wants to take up and write my story. That man, I I began to understand the depth of his love. But that didn't end there. So I go off and I start pursuing this this career, this calling, and God takes me to college and I get my undergraduate and and I end up graduating on the president's honor roll. And it's like, I'm like, I'm the guy that hated school, hated reading, and I'm graduating there in college. Uh, And and then I go on and I'm getting my graduate degree and I've got the perfect family. I'm married and I got a, a child and I'm pastoring a church and I'm living the American dream living the American dream in the American dream church. And in fact, even that church today, some of them are watching online. They've been watching since the beginning. So over in Northeast Arkansas. So it's like, it's kind of fun to stay together as a family, even though we've, we've been apart for all these years. But that church loved me. I loved them. I was very happy there. But then God interrupted that. And he took his love a little deeper. He took me on a two week, just two weeks, two week trip to Kiev, Ukraine, two years after the fall of communism. And I tell you what, that rocked my world as deep as probably anything else. To this day, I'm still living on the ripples of what that big rock going in the pond on that day. 
Grace Point was birthed out of that rock and a ripple from that rock. Whenever God took me to a place, to a nation, to a, to a people that had communism had just been there and, and atheism has been taught to them and, and that there isn't a God and now they're hearing and now they're able to believe and now they're able to receive and oh my goodness, it just transformed my life and I began to see another life lesson. Another story began to be written, another line in that, that depth of his love, and it was the breath of God's love. I began to see the breath of his love and that it could reach far beyond. It could change the world's story. It could, be, it could go deep enough into my life that it could change my story. It could go broad enough and wide enough to change the world's story. And I think, man, I get to be a part of this God, and God just said, this is just the beginning of my love. This is just the beginning of my love. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, it says it like this. Your roots, in fact, I want you to read this out loud with me, okay? Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is love is. Isn't that incredible? And listen, I'm just beginning, and I'm like 23 years old when God begins to do this kind of uh, eye-opening life transformation work. And really, all of this ties back to what we've been talking about for several weeks now. I began to understand the great commandment of God, of what it meant to love God, uh, to know God and to love people, and then what we're going to talk about today, to live sent. And how that all ties together. If you're going to let me draw one more time, this will be our last time, okay? You'll be glad glad to hear that. All right. So again, if you just being with us today, remember God, okay? And then there's us. And then there's this vast separation. That separation happened in the Garden of Eden with our mom and dad when they messed up and every generation since then has messed up. But God fixes the mess whenever he comes down to us. He comes to us. He initiates the love relationship. He pursues a, a love relationship with us that is, that is real and personal, as we shared last week and, and, and the week before. But it's not enough that he loves us. We should love him. He calls us in Mark chapter 12 to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So as much as he's loving us with all of himself, his son, his one and only son, we are in turn loving him with all of ourselves and every bit of it. It's a mutual love relationship. You don't ever want to be in a love relationship where it's lopsided. Well, I'm giving 100%, but they're giving 25%. That is a train wreck waiting to happen. God gives 100%. God wants 100% back. But what happens? Because his love is so deep and it's so wide, it's so long, it's so high. It actually spills over out of us and enables us to not only love vertically, but to love horizontally. So now we're able to love people. We know God in a personal love relationship, but because we know God, we're now able to love people. Love people that maybe we wouldn't normally love. What we want to do as a Grace Point family is we want to provide environments for you to connect with people because we realize, again, if you were here last week, that seven's a magic number. If you don't have seven people that you can connect with, that you're loving and they're in a love relationship, that you're a short-termer here, 
Again, that seven is a very critical number. So we want seven, it, 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 seven connections, and, and we want to do that in one another relationships, quality and quantity right there together. It's a deep biblical community, quality, and it's the quantity of seven relationships. Where do you find seven friends? Well, we have a thing called groups. It's a real creative name, groups. All right, but it makes sense, right? You get in groups. You're created for community, and you get in groups. Now, what we're going to do next Sunday, so just put it down, we're going to be, we're going to offer something out on the lawn following our, our, our second gathering, so come to the second gathering on the lawn, we're going to have what's called a tailgate party. And it's a party, okay, but it's a COVID party. So we're going to have all the social distancing. You bring your lawn chairs, and uh, you uh, uh, will have food. you got to sign up to have food. The food will be prepared for you. You need to sign up for the food and all that kind of stuff. So there's some. we're going to party together in a social distancing kind of way. And we're planning for that, and it's not going to rain. You're going to pray for nice 60-degree weather, okay? So there's a lot of that. And groups, groups, this is where groups can come together. So group leaders, here's an opportunity for us to come together as groups and also help other people get into groups because seven's an important number. And because relationships are important, because we're to love God, but that loving God is not enough, we need to learn to love each other. And we're going to do that in one another relationships. So simple, just text, tailgate, to 97000. And whether you're a group leader, you can sign up, or you are interested in being a part of that next week. Here's the thing. We have sometimes more people interested in groups than we have groups. So if you're interested in starting a group, we'll talk about an opportunity about that a little bit later on. But this is not it. It's, it's one thing to know God in a love relationship. It's another thing for that love relationship with God to spill over that you're able to love people. You know God in a love relationship. It spills over that you're able to know people. But notice this. These are blunt ends. We also, that love causes us to live sin. When you think about how this fits together, you need to understand that the church, the church, where the church, you think you're, I'm at church, I went to church. Church is not a destination in which you arrive, okay? It is not. It is a movement from which you are sent, all right? So we've learned that in COVID. You didn't have to come to church to be the church. We had to get creative about it. But literally, we have this mindset that I got to go to church. It's the destination. And I've been to church. No, no, no. We are the church. We get to go out as the church. We are sent out as the church. It is a movement, not something. Now, where do I get this? Because in Matthew, or excuse me, in John, 50 different times in the gospel of John does he translate the word, is the word translated sent. And most of those times it is Jesus being sent or Jesus sending his disciples. And that's in the gospel of John alone. Let me give you just one of those to sample on today, okay? John chapter 20, verse 21. Words appear on the screen. Jesus said to them again. So point blank, this is not a one-off message. This is not, hey, I, I forgot to tell you this. This is, no, this is important. I've said it once, I've said it again, I'm saying it again. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Sent, sent. Jesus was sent, now he's sending us. But notice this, he doesn't just send us. He says, the peace that I've given you, take that same peace and go with it as you go to others. 
as you live sin. That same love that I've given you, take that same love and love other people. And go to people who have never experienced the love of God. So take your Bibles and open to the Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Because this passage, just as we read John, you're going to read Matthew 28, and you can read Mark 16, and you can read Acts 1, and you can read Luke's gospel, and you're going to find five different times in the very last days of Jesus does he do one thing. Just as the great commandment was important, it's a priority, it's the scope of work, it's, it, it's, 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 it's great in a lot of ways. So, here, we talked about this a little bit last week. We're talking about the great commission last, the great commandment last week. This week, we got to realize that the church is also about the great commandment. Baked into who we are. This is our DNA. This is what we are, are, are about. Now, if you found Matthew 28, I'm going to have a friend of mine jump on and read the passage. This guy is, I'll call him a Muslim-born guy from Iran. He was a successful businessman in Iran. He moved to Athens to find medical help for his wife. So Muslim man born on the streets of Athens. Listen to him read Matthew 28. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, we can read, Now the eleven disciples went to the Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. So I want you to just keep your mind on Iman throughout the entire message. And just we'll come back to him and talk about him in a moment. But notice the passage that he read. Probably not. If you've been to church any length of time, you probably have heard this passage read before. But I just want to point out a couple of things. Verse 16, Jesus talks about climbing up a mountain. I love it. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus climbs a mountain and gives the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 28, he climbs a mountain and he he gives this great commission to his people. So the mountain climbing Jesus is climbing up to the mountain and he's looking over uh, the Gal- uh, the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, I've been there to this place and you can look out over the city of Tiberias and you can see as far as the eye can see. And he gives them this instructions. But who's there? I love this passage. And you look at verse 16 and 17 and, and 18. It says that two people were there and they were worshiping. They were disciples and there were doubters. In the Great Commission, when Jesus is given the final message of his life on earth, who's in his midst? There are disciples and there are doubters. Now, you would think that if Jesus had risen from the dead, that would convince everybody that Jesus was real. But there are still doubters in the midst. There are people watching online today there are doubters. There are people in this room today. I know it may shock you, but there are doubters in this room. There are also disciples in this room. And you know what? You're welcome. 
You're welcome whether you're a doubter or you're a disciple or wherever you kind of see yourself somewhere in the middle, that Jesus gives the same message. Now, what does he do? Notice the disciples. What's this disciples phrase? Disciples, we need to understand, make disciples. What does a disciple do? A disciple makes disciples. Okay, that, that, that will become very clear in just a moment. But look at verse 19 and 20. If you've got your Bible still open there. Because what he does is he tells us, he tells his disciples, even the doubters that are listening, hey, disciples, I am telling you to go. Now, I want you to tell me which is the main verb in here, okay? I know this is not English class, but you tell me which is the main verb. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So disciples, go, therefore, and make disciples, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What is the main verb? Now, this may be a little hard because this is a Greek construct, and it's translated into English. You might look at it and say, well, go could be, uh, uh, okay, teaching could be, uh, baptizing could be, uh, make disciples could be. Well, if you guessed make disciples, then you're correct. It is an aorist active imperative. Just to say this, it is a command of commands. It is active in that you're supposed to do it, not just I'm supposed to do it. It's not a passive command. It's something that you and I do together. The main verb is to make disciples. But what the other participles do is they define what it means to make disciples. You make disciples by going to the nations. You make disciples by baptizing them. You make disciples by teaching them. So you can see now how the construct happens. Let me, parents in the room, raise your hand. If you've got kiddos in the room, all right, just about every section has kiddos. All right, so here's the deal. Have you ever told your kids to go clean their room? Yeah, you may know where this is going already. And they didn't. Raise your hand again. All right, they probably made a bigger mess than before. You gave them instructions to go and clean their room. But what you've got to do, I've learned this in the, after parenting three kids, is you got to tell them exactly what to do, okay? You need to go make your bed. You need to go pick up your clothes. You need to go put away your toys, if that's what it is, or your game station or whatever it may be. You need to go do this, this, and this, and then you can go out with your friends. Then you can come out of your room. If you don't give them those instructions, then they might do one or not at all. And so what it is is... There's the main action, clean your room. You clean your room whenever your bed's made, whenever your clothes are picked up, and when your game station's put away. That's when your room's clean. What Jesus does, he says, I want you to go make disciples. And you haven't made disciples until you've gone to the nations, until you've baptized, and until you've taught. He literally tells us what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. So let's ask ourselves some questions, some self-assessment, if you will. Let's assess ourselves. How am I at making disciples? Because this is what we define a disciple at. A disciple is one who's becoming fully obedient, multiplier, following Jesus. That's our definition. And the reason I say that is because we, for a number of years, as a pastoral team, could not agree on what a disciple was. We took about four months studied every passage of scripture. The leadership team studied every passage of scripture that had the word disciple in it in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we looked for common denominators, and this is the definition that we came up with. 
A disciple is becoming fully obedient, multiplier, following Jesus. And that word multiplier is important because it's not just me getting cleaned up and getting my life in order, but again, it's me having been impacted by knowing God to the point that I'm loving others to the fact that I'm going and living sent to where I've never gone or they've never heard. Let's, let's ask ourselves four, three questions here. Number one, am I going? The first part of simple is going, go. As you're going is literally how you would translate it. As you're going, as you're going where? You're going to the nations. He literally tells us not only what we're to do, but he tells us how far we're to do it. You have not cleaned your room until all of your clothes are put away. All right? Then your room is clean. You've not done disciple making until all the nations have heard. That's literally what he's trying to say. Until every nation, he's talking about nation, he's not just talking about the 196 geopolitical nations that are out there. He's literally talking about ethnicity. Until every ethnic group, it's literally the word that we get ethnic, ethnic from. It's panta ta ethne is where we get the word ethnic from. But it's not the only time he uses it. He uses it also in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, when he says this, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all ethnes. And then what will he do? Then the end will come. We keep anticipating the end times. I've heard people say COVID's the end times. COVID's the antichrist. Now, it may be the antichrist because I hate it and and it, it seems to be messing things up. But... Listen, the end will not come until every last people group has heard. Until every last person, because every tribe, every tongue, every people will stand before the throne of God, worshiping God. That's what he's calling us to. Now, how does this look on a big grand scheme thing? Because you have to look at it. We have to be thinking about this from a global church perspective. How many people groups are there out there? Well, if you go to peoplegroups.org, this will give you some quick answers. 11,724 different people groups make up this great big world called Earth. Now, of those 11,724, 7,000 of them in 64 are unreached. That means there's less than 2% of them that are believers. Okay, that's a very small amount. But nine, uh, excuse me, 3,011 of them have not a gospel witness, may not have a Bible, may not have a missionary, may not have a church, may never even have heard of the name of Jesus. That's a lot of folks. And until all of them have come to faith in Christ. You know what, I realize this more and more as I study and I pray and I just listen to where God is moving in my own heart. I go, you know what, Mike, you are not a keeper of the gospel. You are a steward of the gospel. I don't own this. I get to keep it and hold it in the generation in which I live, in the day in which I live, in the life in which I live, the years in which I live, the decades in which I live. I get to steward this. And I can keep it all to myself or I can go and live sent to the places and the peoples that have never, ever even heard. It's time to stop hoarding the gospel and start sharing it. 
And I say that because this is what our church has been about from the beginning. But I never, never, ever, ever, ever want to lose this. On my way to church today, 14-minute commute, within a mile of wherever I was driving down the interstate, I counted 10 churches that I could stop in and visit. 10 churches that are preaching the Bible. How many churches will you pass on your way home? I go, you know what? I'm a steward of this. But yet you go to places in the world where there's not a gospel, there's not a, there's not a church, there's not a missionary, there's, there's not. I know COVID has kind of cramped our style and it's kind of hard to, but I also ask people this, do you have a passport? Is your passport up to date? Are you ready to go in a, in a moment's notice if God were to call you to go to Kiev, Ukraine, like he called me to go? I didn't have a passport then. And I can tell you what, ever since then, I've had an active passport ready to go at any drop of a hat. I want to give you a number because COVID has jacked us up and we, it's kind of hard to get on a plane and, and go around the world. And we kind of sometimes might use that as an excuse, but here's a number for you. Jot it down somewhere around, uh, right on the person's neck in front of you, if you're that close to someone. Uh, but 1,095,299. That's how many international students are right now, according to last fall, in the universities across America, international students. So the world is coming to America, if we haven't realized that. And if you just watch in Northwest Arkansas, the, the constant changeover. Now, if you're an economist, you're realizing that that's $44.7 billion that's pumped into our economy because of that number of people. As a missiologist, I'm not looking at the $44 billion that's being pumped in. I'm looking at the people that God is bringing to my front door. And what if I had a heart for the nations in my own community, had a heart for the the nations at the universities? What would that change? How would that change how I live? Had a heart for the nations in my high school and so forth? What would change about me? Because here's the reality of those students who come internationally to to our U.S. borders for four to six years, 70% of those students will never be invited into an American home. Just, again, continue to think strategically here. 85% of them will never be invited to a church. You have a problem? I have a problem with that. Because I'm called to go, and if I'm not going, then then really am I living the Great Commission? Because the Great Commission tells me to make disciples in of all nations. Two, second question, am I seeing lives transformed? Am I seeing lives changed? Now, where do I get this in this passage? Because the very first step of obedience, the next step for some of y'all in this room today, the very first step of obedience once you become a follower of Christ is what? Is baptism. It is believer's baptisms. You go through the New Testament, from, for, for, throughout the book of Acts, you'll find that someone accepts Christ and they are baptized. Accepts Christ and stops the chariot, gets out and gets baptized immediately. We're talking about the very first step of obedience is baptism. Verse 19, he tells us, he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, the baptism, baptism is a statement of obedience to Christ. It's commended by Christ's example. It's commanded by Jesus to his his followers. And it's a common practice. 3,000 people in one day accepted Christ and were baptized, it says in Acts chapter 2. 
Common practice, commanded, commended, it's all there. What are we doing? Have you come to that place in your life where you've given your life to Christ? If you haven't, my friends, today would be a beautiful day to give your... Hey, I'm putting off on my baptism. Listen, this, today's a great day. Next two Sundays from now, when we have our next baptism, would be a great day to declare your faith in baptism to the Lord. If you haven't done it, sign up. There's so many ways you can sign up. You can take that connect card in your seat back pocket. Your, your worship guide has a tear off. There's so many ways you can sign up. I'm not even going to go through it all. You can't miss it. It's just time. Because here's what we're doing. You know what our job is on earth? You may not know this. For some of you, this will be an epiphany. Our job here on earth is to throw parties in heaven. Seriously. We are the party planning committee of heaven. Why? How does that happen? Well, when one lost sinner, it says, it says in, in Luke chapter 10, when one person gives their life to Christ, the angels begin partying. They get jiggy with it in heaven. So we are the people who help affect the joy and, and the celebration in heaven. Will you be a part of that when we live sin? Number three, third question is, am I helping others apprentice Jesus? teaching them to observe everything that I commanded you, teaching them, training them, passing on the faith, apprenticing them. I like the word apprentice. It's not original with me. Dallas Willard calls it that when he's talking about a disciple. A disciple is one who, what? A disciple makes disciples. An apprentice makes apprentices, okay? A protege pours into a mentor. You, you disciple other people. We disciple other people. We get to pour in to other people what God has poured into us. Next week, we're kicking off a new series of messages that will take us to hop, skip, and jump through the book of Proverbs. If you've never done that, you need to do that. The series is called Noise. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of noise out there in the world right now. Well, we, need to, we need to figure out what noise we're going to tune out and what noise we're going to tune up. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to have to figure out how to find wisdom in the midst of chaos. And so as we go through, uh, uh, as we go through uh, Proverbs, and here's, here's, here's the challenge and here's the connection, is we're going to be teaching people to observe Everything that God has taught, where did God get his teaching? He got it from the Old Testament. We're going to be teaching from the very textbook of Jesus' writings. Maybe, maybe you know somebody who's caught up in the noise, that's caught up in the, in, 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 in the busyness. Listen, every one of us needs to be teaching others to observe. Teaching others to observe. Jesus had 12 disciples, right? He had at least 12 guys. And then he had women that were in the, uh, uh, that were in the mix too. At the, end of his, at the end of his ministry, he had up to 120 people in the same upper room with him. So Jesus is constantly pouring into people. I'm, right now, I have a document on my computer that I open up from time to time as I'm reading through Paul's writings or the historical narratives, and I'm finding that Paul had up to 33 different people. So the count is that right now. Uh, people, Silas and Timothy and... Luke, and, and there's so many people that he spoke into, poured into, poured his faith into. Who are you pouring into? Who are, I love it whenever our people take a class in our preschool and say, this is the class that we're going to pour into. Take, a, take, a, take a, a small group on Wednesday night with our students. 
and pour into the next generation. Take a small group over with our, with our grade school children. I say, I'm going to take what, what I have of God, I'm going to pour it out, and I'm going to pour it into them. Because disciples make disciples who make disciples. Annabeth Hamilton, I don't know if you're in the room today, but uh, as you know, I was uh, scrolling on Instagram last night before going to bed. That's what you do when you want to waste your life. You scroll on Instagram. So I was scrolling on Instagram, and I came across uh, 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 her talking. Um, and I, so I clicked on it and, and watched her. And here, here's an here's a eighth grader at Lincoln Junior High, and, and she's opening up the word to 196 followers on Instagram, and she's just passing on her faith. And I just was so blessed and got to go to bed thinking about her pouring into others. What's your excuse? I have no excuse. I need to be pouring into other people. When I think about Imad, and I close with, going back to Imad, because remember, he was a Muslim-born man. He was a success, successful man in, in, in Iran. And he brought his wife to Athens to seek medical help for his wife who was struggling with what he thinks was lupus. He gets into the country and is uh, trying to find help and doesn't speak Greek and has a hard time communicating with people. So he finds some other Arab community and he starts speaking to a guy. Uh, I'll just call him John. And John 